Good afternoon, good evening, happy Tuesday for those who are already on Tuesday. You are listening to Intentional Talk Radio Network. This is Mindful Hot Monday, (laughs) super hot Monday. Mindful Mondays with Dr. Corliss P. Bennett. Glad to have you here on this very hot and humid and ridiculously hot. Did I say hot? Yeah, I think I said hot. Labor day, which I did absolutely nothing because I could not move because it was too hot to move. I just laid and let the fan blow with ice packs and all. So I see there's a slight little breeze outside my window here in Inglewood, California, that is helping the situation, but it is still burning up hot. Um, We were just having a conversation about just the weather in general. And I guess she's out in the Inland Empire. For those who don't know, that's east of Los Angeles, where there's no breeze, no help at all. <laughs> and, and it's just it's just super, uber, uber, uber hot. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I talk to friends all over the United States. They're like, oh, we're at 80. I'm like, oh, I take 80 any day right now, any day. But um, it is it is definitely um, not sure what's going on because um, it's in like 20 days or less than 20 days. It's going to be called fall. So we're having summer fall. I think we had something similar like this last year. I call it summer fall. And then when fall comes, then it's fall summer. And then when winter comes, it's summer winter. I mean, it's ridiculous. I I can I can predict now that Thanksgiving will be 80 degrees. Because it just when it when it's just late, this last minute, like, oh, let's have summer weather in September. It usually then turns out to be that Thanksgiving will be a hot one and Christmas could be too. So I am, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Um, got my water here. Uh, at least I thought I had, oh yeah, I had some water. I should have got another cold one before I started the, the program, but I will be okay. So today I am excited. I love when I can get in touch with former students and in this case, former workers. Um, and y'all know how I love to use my USC network. You know, people say USC is the University of Spoiled Children. I say USC stands for the University of Serious Connections. So stop hating. Mm. Yes. People hate us because we are so connected. You know, almost 400,000 alums worldwide, not just California, not just the United States, worldwide. And I know I know we are worldwide when I'm on vacation in Jamaica and I have on a USC shirt and somebody says fight on. And I'm like, for real? In Jamaica, chilling, minding my own business. And he had on a hat and he said, he said, fight on. And when I turned around, I saw his hat. I was like, oh, fight on, baby. How you doing? And we chit-chatted, found out we were there at the same time. Um, um, and it's just, it's amazing. And, you, you know, you can't, you can't hate. USC, University of Serious Connections. And I say that to say, because you guys know how I love to bring my USC folk onto the show, because I have known them, in most cases, since they were 17, Today's guest I only knew since grad school, even though she went to my undergrad, uh, Riverside, right? Didn't you go to Riverside? Oh, you yes, I did. Yes, yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so even though she went to my undergrad, which is UC Riverside, she came to, to USC to study social work and get her master's in social work. And she actually worked in the Center for Black Culture and Student Affairs. And so I was happy to see her, we text here and there, and we see each other on Facebook or whatever. And I was like, Audrey, ooh, you need to be on my show. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, it doesn't matter because 
she is fully into um, starting off in social work and now a professor, correct? Yes, yes, in the School of Social Work at USC. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into that right now. So let me first go ahead and formally introduce her, and then we're going to get some background information because I think it's really um, important for folks to know you know, where people are from, where they got started as they begin their careers and or changing careers, uh, retiring from one, changing to another, and just to know, um, you know, folks' background. So Miss Audrey Shelby, which is, oh, it's a whole lot of connections with you and your husband. Yes. <laughs> when you told me, when he said, oh, my husband, my husband knows you are he either said, you know, Audrey, anyway, somehow we got to talking. It was yes. like, shut up. Are you kidding? So Miss Mrs. Audrey Shelby is um, a former USC, is a USC alumna of the Masters of Social Work program. Um, and today we are going to talk about work balance, motherhood, leadership, and excellence. And she can do all of them with her hands behind her back and her eyes and her eyes blindfolded. But before mm -hmm. we do all that, we're going to get some background information from you just to kind of mm -hmm. see where you're from, wh how, how you've been getting there and where you've been and, and bring us to this point where we can talk about these these things. So first, let me start off by saying, where did you go to high school? I don't think I knew. Or maybe you told me. Oh, my me. goodness. So I'm I'm from L.A., native um, from L.A. I went to Crenshaw High School. Very proud to be Ooh. a Cougar. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. And then from there, I... I had a long kind of thing. I went to UC Davis first oh. and I ended up transferring to UC Riverside. So that's where I graduated. Um, and then I went on to USC to the School of Social Work. So I don't want to go too far. I'm going to keep going. I know that was your first oh, question. Um, <laughs> so when you went to Davis, were you thinking of, at social work? Was that one of your things on your mind from, from no, jump? From high school, or absolutely did not. No, I went to UC Davis with no major in mind. I met with my advisors. They said maybe communication. Um, I really had no idea. When I left Davis, I still didn't have an idea. Got to UC Riverside. And they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I like helping people. And they said, okay, well, major in sociology. So I wanted to be an attorney at the time. So I majored in sociology and pre-law. And my mentor had told me um, when I was applying for law school, she said, you should get a master's of social work. And I said, well, what is that exactly? <laughs> And she kind of explained it to me. She's like, if you want to help people, I wanted to do family law. And she's like, if you want to do family law, you need to understand the families that you're working with, their communities. So it'd be good to get a master's in social work. So I said, okay. So I applied to USC for the joint Juris Doctorate uh, MSW program. And I did not get into the law school. I was, I was denied, unfortunately, but I got into the MSW program. And so the plan was I'm going to get my master's and then I'll reapply to law school. And during my internship for the MSW program, I actually got to intern at a law firm and I loved it, right? So I was working right alongside attorneys, working on things like immigration, working on um, with probate guardianships, working in schools. And so I really loved it and then decided I don't want to be an attorney. I want to be a social worker. And that's that's kind of where that whole love for social work kind of was birthed, right? So I was about my second year in the program that I decided I wanted to choose social work. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And so right after, so, so while she was in, so everybody, so while she was at doing her master's in social work, she, she worked for the Center for Black Cultural and Student Affairs, helping people. Yes. Um, that gave her uh, definitely a foot right on into helping people because yes. somebody that walked in the office, 
we served black, white, green, polka dot, didn't matter. Even though we were the Center for Black Cultural and Student Affairs, we, we had an open door to all students. And a lot of um, different students did utilize our office. Um, so once you graduated from, with your MSW, mm -hmm. um, so what was your first position uh, as far as how did, was it true social work? Or? It was true social work. So my first job out of USC, I was working at a nonprofit and I got hired on as a program coordinator for a homeless program. And oh, wow. so it was like a homeless prevention program. And then I ended up literally like within the first couple of months, I got promoted and asked to sit over a child, where, a child welfare prevention program. So basically helping families access services, um, financial literacy, job training. There was a host of different things. And it was basically all housed in these family resource centers across LA. So I, I, that was my first job. I was a program manager straight out of school. And then I was fortunate to then be promoted to oversee another child welfare program. And within my first three years of that organization, I was promoted to oversee the child welfare division. Hmm. And so I stayed with them for about almost seven years, almost seven okay. years. And I was, I was 28 sitting at the executive level and I was like mind blown, right? Like I was, and I was the youngest one at the table. Um, but it was such a interesting experience and such a blessing. My mother always told me when I first got into management, she was like, you know, management's not a. Sorry, I didn't good. turn off my phone. Sorry. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, and my mother was like, you know, management is not an eight to five job. You don't work 40 hours a week. And I think that prepared me for like the level of hustle that I was in. And so I, I then at that point was sitting over. I think five or six different contracts, over 3 million in contracts and 65 staff wow. in my division. And so we provided everything from like prevention services through to adoption support services for child welfare. And it was such a rich experience. And that really kind of catapulted me into other areas. So after about seven years in management, I transitioned to um, San Diego State uh, University Research Foundation training social workers, right? and doing what they called um, consulting for other child welfare jurisdictions. And so I did that for quite a bit. Um, you were driving about, to San Diego? Uh, yes. <laughs> I did every oh, once in a while. Y'all live in Fontana? We live in Fontana. At this time, I was living in Inglewood, and I oh. would drive to San Diego, or I know, I see your face. I drive to San Diego, or I would drive to San Bernardino County, which was the county who I was servicing, which was our client. And I eventually moved to Riverside because it was too much. But I commuted for a whole year from Inglewood down to San Diego and San Bernardino. <laughs> I was dedicated. And then yeah, we moved. <laughs> wow. And then, and then we moved. And so I went on to do the same kind of work for a private foundation for a couple of years. And then I just most recently... Um, was at LA County Department of Children Family Services working as an administrator for their chief deputy director. So basically number two for LA County Department of Children Family Services and doing everything from statewide implementation to day-to-day -day operations, writing speeches, um, managing press and different things. So it really was a, it was such a rich experience and I can see when I look back over my career, how it put me there, like all those experiences as an administrator, as a manager, prepared me for the seat that I last sat in. And then most recently, I had this opportunity to apply to be a full-time professor. And I had been teaching part-time prior to this. I've been teaching part-time, 
um, at Azusa Pacific University and I love them because they really got me started. And then here comes this opportunity at USC. And so I applied and earlier this year transitioned to full-time professor after 16 wow. years in management. Social work at Azusa as well? I was teaching a social work, school? yes. So I taught in the master of social work program there and the bachelor of social work program there. Mm -hmm. So focusing on uh, child welfare, what they call field education, as well as teaching diversity and social justice. I'm and so, so now- proud <laughs> mama. Oh, my baby just out there doing I love it, I love it, I love yes. it. Yes. Oh my God. So you were teaching part-time in Azusa and then yes. SC popped up and you Yes, like and I applied and I was, you know, I. It, these positions don't come up often, right? So I remember when it came up and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a full-time position in field education at USC. I have to apply. Let's just see what's going to happen. And I, I applied and I was selected and I'm here. I started earlier this year. So excited. This is my second semester this fall. And it's just been, it's been such a blessing and it's surreal, right? Like I was talking, <laughs> talking to a student this week and I was like, you have to go to the Center for uh, Black Cultural Social Affairs. I think they changed the name, Student Affairs. But I was like, you have to, because working for you, being at, at uh, CBCSA really helped me get acclimated with the community at USC. It was very different as a graduate student. But I felt so like dialed into what was happening every day. And I loved my experience there and at USC in general. And so I tell all my friends, like, come to SC, get your master's. And I have had a few after I left, come and graduate from here. So it's it's full circle. It, it really is a blessing. But what classes do you teach now? So now I teach um, applied field education and I teach virtual field practicum, which are basically when you get your master's in social work, you have two years of internship. And so the field education is the seminar class where they process how they're applying practice into, um, how they're applying theory rather into practice in communities. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So, so these students have, are, 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 they're about to graduate. This is like their last year. This is their, for some, their first year in the MSW program. Some may be in the, in the part-time program. So yeah, they're at various levels, um, but they're oh. either in their first year of field or they're, or they're um, going into their second year of field education. Okay. And so field education, meaning they actually are working two days a week somewhere. Yes. They're working two to three days a week, interning somewhere in the community, usually a community-based agency, or it might be with our partner, um, partner county agencies. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so your class is to then take those experiences, talk through them with the whole class or like what? Is exactly. Yes. So in our class, we process what's happening in field. How are they able to apply different modalities, different theories in their practice? What's different from what you may have seen in class versus real life people? <laughs> the challenges, um, the social issues that that they see in, in, in field and really working through who they are, their professional identity as social workers and how they're really making an impact. And I think it also is an opportunity to help our students figure out what they want to do. Social work is such a broad field. And so there's so many different specialties that you can go into. So you could do mental health. You could do education, uh, be in schools. You could be in child welfare, like my specialty. Um, they could kind of do anything. You could work with juvenile justice. And so it really gives them an opportunity not only to gain the skills, but to figure out what their interests are and what they're really good at. You said juvenile justice. What is juvenile that? justice. So those are um, those are 
adolescents that come into the criminal justice system at some at some point in time in their lives. So they may be coming through coming through probation. And we work with those with those young people and helping them like either get to reentry back into society um, and really helping them get back on track. Yeah. So it's usually um, adolescents under the age of 18 who come into the criminal justice system. Wow. 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 And are, and are, are some of them placed in different homes or not? Or, or Oh, it just, it depends. It really, it really does depend. It's not my area of specialty, but it, it, it does depend just on where they are. Some of them are on probation. We do have what we call um, crossover youth. So maybe they, they used to be in foster care or they're in foster care currently, and they've come into the juvenile justice system as well. So now they're, they're under probation and child welfare. Wow. Wow. So lot, lots of, definitely lots of needs and, and just a, a, an area that we need, I think, just more social workers and probation officers to just wrap our arms around these young people because they really come into some difficult situations. But to continue to give them hope through providing services and, and things like that. Wow. Wow. No, I know a lot of folks, you know, they always try to try to figure out, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And like you said, you just right. want to help people. And right. so there's so many ways to help people. And, and, and you're right. I think social work gives you a very broad umbrella to choose from. I mean, I never mm-hmm. even thought about say, juvenile justice. I'm like, oh, okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a different way of kind of packaging it, you know, juvenile justice um, from, you know, and then you're saying dealing with foster uh, children, care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure homelessness comes into yes. play. Yes. Homelessness, schools, um, like we said, mental health, housing services, uh, working with older adults. I mean, there's a it, it's a myriad of, of things that, that can be done. And I think people don't know that the person that they may be sitting across, maybe a therapist or or a coordinator or a case manager, and they don't know that they have an MSW behind their name. Like that's how versatile the field of social work is. Wow. Wow. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's amazing how... Um, you know, because I didn't really know about social work. Like even when I was going to school in Riverside, I, no one mm. said, "Hey, social worker." You know, right. I, I too, um, my degree is in liberal studies, but my emphasis was in sociology and education because I knew mm. I wanted to be a school teacher. But I also knew that I needed to understand people and cultures, and so that's where the sociology piece came in. But I don't remember anyone saying, "Oh, you should go into social work," because that probably would have been something I probably would have done, even though I was still. My main thing is I wanted to be a teacher, so they probably knew to kind of leave me alone because that's what that's what that was my <laughs> education yeah I taught four years in middle school I always talked about college you know I'm first gen you guys got to do this you got to get ready you got to mm-hmm. get prepared and they were like well you should go you know do admissions you're always talking about college why don't you help people get in and so that's kind of how my path started to mm. that route mm-hmm. so it's amazing um it's and now today I mean <laughs> mental health Social workers are so needed right now, and yes, um, absolutely, uh, mental health professions um, are so needed, um, especially you know after this hit with COVID and all the different things. I'm sure the caseloads went up because you know, you've just been teaching since January. You started in the spring since this year? February. Mm-hmm. February. So prior to that, I'm sure that the caseloads were really heavy. Um, yeah. That's right in the middle of COVID that you were dealing yes. with. We're, yeah, I mean, we, we're seeing it, and I think as the field in general, we're seeing a lot of needs, um, especially when we talk about in child welfare, youth coming in with a lot of additional mental health needs, 
um, the isolation is impacting not only children, but their families. And so we we definitely are seeing, I think, an increase across the field and individuals who need mental health services and those who may have never come into to ask for help before are really being impacted by the isolation. And then I think just even as we've coming as we're coming back into our what I'll say our social norms, right? People are still not comfortable being out and being around people. And so they still may, may choose to, to stay inside and kind of limit that contact with others so that we know that social isolation does definitely impact mental health. Yes, absolutely. Wow, that's, 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 I mean, yeah, COVID has definitely shifted the whole mental health piece because at first, no, a lot of folks weren't talking about, it, and I've mentioned this before on, 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 on the podcast, um, how now, because, because this affected everybody, wasn't just the black community over here or right over here, or Minnesota, Tennessee, you know, New York, it was the whole world was affected yes. by COVID and the whole world was on, on lockdown and was working from home and shut down. And, 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 and it's amazing the differences in the shutdown in different communities. Yes. And I really feel like our community suffered the most. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, especially black and brown, but for sure black. I mean, I can, I can, I can, I can attest, you know, just being having it now, you know, parents now got to teach you from home or, you yes. know, make it, you know, the parents are trying to work. Their job is either shut down or they're still going to work. And now they got to figure out, okay, come on, you guys get up and get on the computer. I got to go. And a lot of students just did not, they did not cooperate. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so it's amazing. I wonder now how those students are doing in college, you know, like the mm-hmm. sophomores would have been, I think that first set of students yes, that would come into going into freshmen mm-hmm. after not being in school a year. Yes. Yes. You know, it, and I think that, that mm-hmm. would be the sophomores right now. And I just I wonder because now I'm not in the college setting. Um, um I and and then um before leaving Humboldt, I was in a different department where I didn't have con- student contact, um, i.e. why I was looking for a position because I couldn't stand not having student contact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so not knowing how that I mean, knowing that that was such a big difference that I so you talked about the isolation piece. Yes. And I know as an adult grown woman, I felt isolated. Listen, and, yes. You know, like, <laughs> I'm back in LA. Cody back in LA? Yeah, but I can't leave the house because y'all heard me. You know what? Wear a mask. Right? <laughs> I'm sitting on this couch and me, me and this, me and this couch, I just took the point where I don't even watch TV on this couch anymore because I sat here so much looking at these little green boxes that we're on right now that I was just like, I can't, I can't take it. It's like, oh, you're home, you're home. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not like I'm out there chilling because right, right. And I know that it affected me as a social butterfly. Um, I can't even imagine the kids that are still trying to come come to themselves and trying to make you know figure out who, who they are. Meaning right. from little even to the, the high school age students who are now trying to thinking about college. And like I said, I can't even imagine. I haven't heard much, and maybe because I'm not in the college. Um, arena anymore but i just wonder how those students fared out um going into college right not having that structure all the way through i don't know so i right. i have to I call a few friends and just to see but i know that from the ones i did talk to you know it it, it was hard for them and it yeah. was hard not to be able to 
you know, people take for granted, you know, being able to socialize and see each other every day. Oh, absolutely. COVID, COVID slapped us in the face and was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> right, oh. right. Because oh. I think like even for me and my little ones at the time when, when COVID hit, they were three three and like six months, right? Mm -hmm. And so even watching them trying to acclimate now, and we used to, we like, we went to, we were, we love going to restaurants. We love eating out. And so we would eat out all the time. And so now trying to just take the two of them now, they're three and six into a restaurant. They don't know what to do. They're like, mommy, they're jumping around. I'm like, okay, we got to re-socialize you to being in the public. Stop touching stuff, put your mask on, get this hand sanitizer. And it's like a whole thing. And for us, we were fortunate. We didn't have to do online school. We didn't have to do online school, but we did. They were home for like eight months. Oh, wow. They were home for eight months. So I'm trying to teach at that time preschool and then you know, you're doing tummy time with the newborn and it just, right. it was more than a notion. Um, and it was hard. And I had very, a lot of respect for my friends who were educators. Cause it was like, when are the schools opening back right. up? This is like, Oh, this is what y'all do. Okay. <laughs> you know, and me and my husband, we used to switch off. So like, depending on what our schedule was, I would have the kids from eight to noon and then he'd have them from 12 to five. And that's how we got our work done. Cause you couldn't take off work. We just, and we did that for eight months. And wow. some days it was easy and some days it was hard. And now they're back in school. But then now they're now you got to get acclimated to them getting sick all the time because they're getting they've been getting sick. We as a family have had COVID um, earlier in the summer just from them going to school and bringing it home. So it's right. definitely this is not normal is over, guys. Like <laughs> this is the new normal. We got to go ahead and make the adjustments. But I'm I'm very interested to see what the what the learning gap was, especially for those children in more low income communities who didn't have access to computers or cell phones. What did that look like? And what was the lag in their development? So I'm really interested. I'm sure somebody's doing the research now as we speak. Somebody's, yeah, somebody's, somebody's doing it. Yeah. But you know, what was really funny for me was when, when, when Ellen Unified or, when, you know, when everybody realized they're going to have to work from home or school from home, all of a sudden they, they got with someone and made internet available for everybody. How come it had to take this right. yeah. to get internet for, so that we can be on some kind of level ground? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, why, 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 why did it have to take that for y'all to make sure that every LA Unified School District child had internet at home? That, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. That's, <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, that about access and equity. That's a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. And it makes, Absolutely. and it makes no sense. And I don't know, you know, um, I, it's really interesting because, because now that I'm at St. Mary's, um, when I first got there, everybody has a, um, a Chromebook or a laptop, like you, that's class. Wow. Everybody, entire school. And I was like, oh, oh wow. I mean, I mean, and then of course they're going to be ready for college because you just, right. going, you know, just the whole laptop thing is, was new to me just whenever it just kind of started up right. in the, since we've been in school. And so to have high school students are already ready. They've got their, you know, everybody has to have their laptop. You got to have your charger with you. They're like, come to school with your stuff charged. We're not playing with you. And it's just like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. And everything is Google, you know, Google this, Google that. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of, kind of regroup and was like, Okay, Google. But I mean, every student has either a Chromebook or a laptop, and that is how class is orchestrated. Like, wow. And it's like, okay. 
these kids are really going to be ready for college. They're going to be ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I never thought of anything like that 30 something years ago. I remember having a word processor. Okay. We didn't have, there were no laptops. We didn't right. have a computer. I had a word processor. I learned how to type on an old school type machine. And when you push back and it had the ribbon, all of that. So I, listen, I was the I didn't get a, listen, Corona. I didn't get a computer until I didn't get a laptop. I think till graduate school, like, yeah, yeah, this is deep. So right. no, but it's, it, it's, it's a good thing. They're going to be well-prepared when they Absolutely. get into college. So that's, that's the, that's the good thing. I think it, it just comes down to the socioeconomic divide, right? Cause that's at your school. Is that at every school? And if it's not, then how do we how do we bridge those gaps, right? Okay. Particularly for children of color. So yeah, and I think what has happened because I, I try to look at the pandemic, the you know positive pieces to the pandemic, if you would. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that students had to you know work from home, therefore they had some kind of laptop and or computer at home to be able to keep up with their studies. Because I mean, I think what happened was when 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 the class it was like, well, we don't have a laptop. I think the schools actually borrow let them borrow or yes they school, schools non-profits right mm -hmm. it's like hey, you know you can't force anybody to get a laptop but now that right. now they're learning from home how do you expect them to learn something all of a sudden oh now everybody has internet and now we can make sure that everybody has a laptop or some kind of a, a ipad i chromebook or whatever that is and so at least we know now that students who are entering into the college realm do because mm -hmm. it forced us to have to go that route, you know. So right. that's kind that's of a positive, pandemic part. positive piece to at yeah. least our students getting that opportunity that they probably would not have had had COVID not happened. You know, right. not that I'm happy about COVID, I had it too in January and was not fun, but um, but it definitely has um changed our lives and and now because of that you know we always have to think about okay what if this what if that what if my daughter you know you have your daughters what if that yes. what if they make sure this do they have their mask you know and and even even when i was a school teacher i used to get sick a lot because those sure. people, you know you get the cold somebody's always and it's just like you know it's just that now it's the COVID that you can even yes <laughs> yeah cold even though i haven't heard too many people having COVID now uh these days right now but i know you know of course last year more so but there's a lot of germs. And so I, one of the things my doctor was like, take vitamin C. Do you guys take vitamins over there? We do. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, the little I people take vitamins. vitamins. So do the big people. <laughs> yes. well, everybody, yeah, people don't understand how vitamins can really help keep your immune system on tack. And especially um, doing vitamin C at that mm -hmm. extra C kind of keeps that cold and flu, flu, flu is going to happen regardless. The flu, flu is going to break through whatever you are on. It don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> It'll definitely keep you from getting a cold. Mm. So, so, so when you, so what's really interesting mm -hmm. when we talk about work-life balance, so you're doing, you're teaching. Yes. Um, and then you've got your, your little, your girls. Yes. Yes. And my husband. <laughs> and, your, and your husband, which is, which is really funny because, um, I knew him when he was in high school yes. for a different program for, for the, um, for the CAPS program, the Council of African-American Parents. Um, program when he was in high school and yes. I used to do a speaking for that program and it was just like oh my god wait a minute you know, oh you're oh, oh you know small world small, small world. world absolutely um and so so how do you guys deal with the work-life balance well you had to deal with it you said you had one shift and then he had the afternoon shift mm -hmm. and then y'all all together in the evening and then you had to 
figure mm -hmm. out each other's schedules. And yeah. I mean, that's, we just, we just tried initially when COVID hit, we had to figure it out. Right. And so it was like, well, we literally like for the week, what do you have going on this week? And then daily, what, what meetings do you have? I have these meetings. I have this. Okay. And we would just, we would just, you know, switch off. If I had to teach, like, honey, I got to go campus. I got to teach all day. I need you to keep the kids. Okay. And we would just do that. And we kind of got into a rhythm. And then once the schools opened back up, we took them to school and that was a huge, it just was a huge relief. But at the same time, we're nervous, right? So they're taking temperatures every day for the kids. They're wearing masks. And so now we're like hyper vigilant around anything. So we're still like their only social outing. And this is kind of still true today is going to school. We still don't really go to much. We may go to birthday parties and stuff like that. But I think for us, and we still do, we check our calendars every week. What do you have on? What do I have going on? And we try to balance out, drop off, pick up for the kids. If I'm not teaching, I'll pick up the kids. If I'm teaching, he has them that day. Um, and then we also, I think one thing we do regularly is schedule date night. Date night is at least every two weeks. I want it to be every week, but listen, okay, you need babysitters. So it's like every two weeks we'll do that and we schedule and it's intentional. And I think for me, it's like trying to find my me time, right? So I'm trying to work out. I need to get to five days a week. I'm only at like two to three. But to me, that's my me time. He's working out. That's his me time. And I think it's also like, how do you take care of yourself? So for me, get my hair done, get my nails done. I have a massage um, monthly subscription. So I try to get the massage once a month. Like you have to be intentional about the self-care because otherwise, you know, with everything we do, you can just run yourself ragged, right? And so for me and my husband, I think it's like being very intentional about prioritizing ourselves, prioritizing our marriage, and then prioritizing our children. And it's not always perfect. It's not. Some months I don't get to the massage. Um, some months we may miss our date night. But if even if we're just sitting and watching TV after the kids have gone to bed, that's good quality time, you know? So it's really trying to balance it out. And I think even like, even like projects. So, you know, you have different things you can be a part of. And I get various opportunities to work on different things in the area of child welfare, but I've also gotten down to like three things and I'll have my three things. I have my main job, right? And like, I don't go past three things because I feel like once I commit to more than three things, work-life balance is out the window. It's over, right? And I think in today's society, we trying to be everywhere. We're on social media. We're doing this, we're doing that. But it's like, is it purposeful? Are you doing what you were meant to do? Are you doing what you were called to do? And so for me, I'm just really intentional about how I spend my time. So I'll say that. So that's what helps me. Um, in terms of the kiddos, they're in tennis, they're in gymnastics. And even that, we try to do one at a time. So we just finished tennis after like a whole, probably a full year of tennis. Oh, and now wow, we're going, loved it. Lit, oh, my oldest loves it. Loves, loves, loves like tennis. Lit. Name, Olivia. Mm -hmm. Olivia. I was like, Liv? I call her. I call her Liv or Olivia. Liv, okay. Um, but yes, yeah, so she loves tennis, and so we just finished that, and now we're going into gymnastics. Her and Layla. Layla loved loves gymnastics, and so it's just been fun. And I think for us as a family, just watching them grow up and grow and have fun is fun. Um, so tennis like Serena Venus tennis. Are we gonna stick with it? Or listen, we gonna see what the, we gonna see. I she loved it. We were playing. We were playing yesterday. And uh, Brandon, that's my husband. He was like, well, you know, maybe we, we may have another Serena. I'm like, listen, right. we got to put in the work if you want Serena Williams and Venus Williams. Okay. So, but the point is she really has fun, you know what I mean? And so she enjoys it. 
So yeah, so that's what we've been doing. And then I also play tennis on Saturdays. So that's another part of my me time. Now I'm not that great, but I'm learning, <laughs> learning something new. And it, you know, it's, it's a part of the balance. Like, let me take some time for myself. It's an hour a week, um, but I really look forward to it and I enjoy it. So yeah, I mean, I think that's how we try to balance it all out. So you've got the whole, so, so you got the whole family structure going. Then yeah. how do you then incorporate the work? Work is, I don't like work is work. You know, like I have a teaching schedule. I have these specific days I teach. I have the days that I have to, to be in meetings. And then I, I look at, again, outside projects that are still work related. Like, do I have the time to do it? And I have to balance because I'm definitely have been a person over the years who, like I work hard and I'm used to working more than 40 hours a week. And so sometimes I have to intentionally pull myself back from, okay, Audrey, you can't, you can't do that. That sounds like a great opportunity, but maybe that's not a grant you should be writing, or maybe this is not a project you should be helping with just because you have the skills, right? Because we have skill sets and we have expertise, but I think, I feel like for me, if I do everything that I get excited about, I'll be burned out. I'll be burned out. So I prioritize my job. That's my first and foremost. I'll try to do like one or two projects there and try to just keep it, just keep it to the point where it's manageable. Like, okay, when I'm off, I'm off. I'm not checking emails on the weekends unless it's an emergency. But you know, you used to be in education. You don't have a lot of emergencies at this level. Um, when you're talking about at a graduate school program, you're not having emergencies like I had in child welfare, right? You get a, an emergency in child welfare, you got to respond. Child welfare is 24 seven. And so this is really a nice downshift for me. Um, so I think it gives me more work-life balance. I teach. And then I also help coordinate um, one of our stipend programs, our public child welfare stipend program. So it's still a good balance, like maybe 30 hours a week of just intense work and focus 30 to 40, but it's still manageable. Yeah. And so, um, so you're teaching, you said, so, so now the, the, the professorship is your full-time job. now. That's my full-time job. Oh, that makes it nice. Cause that's only mm -hmm. like you said, a couple, what, three hour class, two hour class, cl uh, two hour class. And then I have some specialty trainings that I do mm -hmm, every other week. And those are another two hours. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. you're teaching twice a week? Basically, or every other week. Yes. Mm hmm That makes it nice. That makes it nice. It makes and it nice. Yeah. But I think you, I think the biggest thing is like you put the work in on the front end. Like I came into this field at 2022, 20, you know, so I put the work in for the last, what is that? 18 years and then 16 years post Wait a minute, when did you get that old? <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, I, look, I met you when I was 20, what, 23? Wait I'm a minute. I'm about to be 40, graduating Oh my God. <laughs> what to be 40 oh. next year? Yeah. Okay, that's not even cute. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, wait a minute, because huh? I, I guess I keep trying to picture you as this grad student, but you, you yeah. kind of grown. That was, that was, I graduated from SC oh. in 2008. No, no, no. So when did you graduate from Riverside? 2005. Okay, that makes and sense. And I went straight into grad school. Oh my God. I just, mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm thinking it was, uh, wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what, 18 years? What are you talking about, 18 years? Oh my God, that's yeah. crazy. Okay. Okay. Quick, quick check. <laughs> wow. Reality check. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Or seven. My math is off. 17 years. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been married? Oh, goodness. It's eight years now. Wow. I was about to say 10. Wow. Not yet. Not yet. Next year will be that nine. Is, that is absolutely crazy. Like, I don't know why I'm, and, and it's so funny because when I say my kids, everybody's like, your kids, you know, my students, I have to call you guys yeah. students, but my kids, they're y'all my kids. It's just like, yes. I just, I don't know why, and not that age should just, I know age continues, but it's just, yeah, when you said 17, 18, I was 18 years from where? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Wow, Audrey, wow. Yeah. I started in the field at 22. I'm I'm about to be 40. Yeah, in a few months. That's absolutely yes, crazy. That's absolutely crazy. It is. 40 with two kids. Wow. Yes, yes. Wow. And if, it a, flies by. But the I mean, but I know you love teaching. You have to. I love oh, I love it. You and you know what's so funny? When Brandon, we were we were like early in our marriage, right? Maybe like two, three years in. And one day he was like, you know what? I feel like you should be teaching. I was like, what is you talking about? I like, I was like, what? Right. And I was like, no, I'm in child welfare. I'm an administrator. This is what I'm doing. He was like, yeah, but I just feel like you'd be really great at teaching. Like you should be teaching. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, and you kind of move on, right? Like, oh, all right. And what, that was like maybe two years in term marriage, about what, four Four years later, I find myself at APU teaching and like really, and I felt like this, I remember telling him, like, I felt like this kind of almost like a push, like I'm like, I need to be teaching, I need to be teaching. And it just felt like it was what I was supposed to be doing. And I applied for this part-time, what they call adjunct faculty at APU, Azusa Pacific University, and the rest is history. And like, once I got there, I felt like, oh, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it kind of, you know how you feel like the the puzzle pieces come together? It just clicked. It literally just clicked. And I was like, this is what he was talking about. And so I, I can't, t- I, I haven't been happier. I, I will say that. I can't say I've ever been this happy. I feel like I'm really in my purpose and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, focusing on the next generation of social workers to come in. So it's it's been, yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, that's how I felt when I taught middle school and then, you know, moved into higher ed. But, you know, I, I, I think for me, my job is ideal because I get to do a little bit of everything at mm-hmm. St. Mary's and do the admissions piece, the recruiting piece and being oh, able to nice. parents and students. And, you know, I ran my first orientation a couple of weeks ago and I absolutely love it. And I'm just like, you know, everybody's like, this is you, you are in your element. And I truly yes truly believe when you when you can feel it you know when you can drive on the parking lot every day and you're smiling going to your job yes. it's just like man i'm on this side of the equation because i went to high school there by the way oh oh so you have a full circle moment too wow all the way around wow full, full that's moment. incredible and and it's just you know i just it's like how did you oh i love it and it's like hey, i can see it on your face you know on facebook pictures and i'm just like look you guys and you know i've got uh, the orientation we had a couple of weeks ago, we had a, at the end, I had a family social and had a DJ there. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was like, Cornish, well, you about to have St. Mary's turned up. I Listen, <laughs> I had a DJ on the yard. I had food trucks going, ice cream truck. And, and that is your element. Absolutely. Uh, stuff. And girl, I had parents out there singing and it was so much. I was like, they're they gonna tell me I'm having to start paying them because I'm having too much fun. <laughs> but, but you know, it's about being in your element, and that's why yes. I asked 
you enjoyed it because I know I enjoy teaching and I it's something about being able to um help others see their potential, see see, mm-hmm. see see where they're coming from, see what they're learning. And and I know in teaching, especially college level students, um being able to, you know, because they want to be, first of all, you're first of all, you're in a program where folks want to be there. It's not like undergrad. Yes. Yes, you got to have that history class at Riverside. I waited till the last quarter (laughs) take this tired history class, and I ended up getting a C minus because I just hated that class. It was eight o'clock in the morning, and I waited every quarter for it to not be at eight, and it was always at eight. All the time, taking it that last quarter, I messed up my GPA with that. Oh no, that doggone C. But I, you know, anyway, I, I say that to say that. You know, it's different. Undergrad is a lot different because you're like taking all these classes that you're like, why do I have to take this? What's this got to right. do Whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, you're paying to be in grad school. You want to go to grad school. You're going because you want to go. Yes, and so you're you dealing a- with a classroom of folks that want to learn. Mm-hmm, that want to learn, that want to, right. They either want to advance their career. They're changing careers. And um, we have a lot of folks who, it's ironic. I, I want to say in the, just the last like two, three years, both between being at USC and at APU, I've had so many students who have been in entertainment and now they're coming like, you know, film and TV production. And now they're coming in to be social workers. I think it's just, it's so incredible. Yeah. We've seen a lot of that. Mm-hmm. From entertainment. And now they're, they're having a second career. Absolutely. So that has been very interesting to see. Um, but yeah, like you said, folks, they want to be there. They're either, either they've been in the field and now they're like, Hey, let me get a master so I can advance in my, in my area, or they're wanting to just do something new, um, as a second career. So it really is, it is different. Cause I've taught both undergrad and graduate and it, it is different. I think that, like you said, folks are in there for different reasons versus, you know, you're taking a general ed class. Okay. But this is like, this is your special specialty. This is your focus. And so it, it is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell me how, so you've got the work-life balance. It sounds like you and your husband kind of got a good checks and balances piece going. Mm-hmm. So tell me how, and you actually talked about motherhood. Yes. So tell me how your leadership comes in into play. So I think because I was fortunate to go into leadership immediately after graduate school, I tried to like, grab onto everything I could. Like I read about like journals on leadership articles. I joined a mentor program that they had. Um, I think it's a national, national, wait, let me get the right, the name right. It was like, oh goodness, network management for social work or something like that. But they have an actual formal mentor program. So I applied for that, got into that program. And they, it's basically, they pair you with folks who are in the same position you're in or doing something similar and you talk to them monthly, you can meet with them monthly. And I had been paired with an administrator in in New York City and I had just kind of, you know, just gotten promoted over the child welfare division. And I was like, what do I do? And she would just talk to me monthly. We would just check in and I'd have all these challenges and just different things. Funding would get cut or I'd have personnel issues and not really knowing how to manage it. And just kind of having somebody else who's done this at this point, I think she had been like 20, 30 years in. And so just having somebody to coach you and be there, I think was great. And I, when I was at USC in my master's program, I knew I wanted to focus on leadership and management. Like I knew that I had done some direct practice 
And I was really more interested in like the administrative pieces, policy reform issues, specifically for, for um, child welfare. And so that was my focus. But I remember like once I got in the seat, it was like, whoa, this is so much they don't tell you about. Like you don't learn about dealing with personnel issues and, you know, going from having people be your colleagues to now you're managing your colleagues and that shift in things. And so I learned a lot um, over the last, oh my goodness, what has it been in management? Last 13, 14 years, I just stayed in management at various levels because I enjoyed it. Um, I'm good at administration. I'm very like organized and detail oriented. And so I just tried to find mentors at every organization I was at. So whether that was, if it made sense, my immediate supervisor or just other colleagues at my same level or above to see like, how do you do this? What, you know, how do you make it work? And I didn't see a lot of work-life balance. Most of the time there wasn't, you know, we'd be in the offices together at six, seven, eight o'clock at night. We're in there or we're coming in on Saturday when a grant is due. And so a lot of that, I was like, there has to be a better way to do this. Um, and that's when I shifted and went into education because it, it became too much. And I, I've already shared how young I am and how young I was when I started. I was like, I can't, I'm going to burn out if right. I can't figure this thing out. And so for me, it, and once I got married, my priority shifted also. So that's when I shifted into training and workforce development. And I had a lot more balance. It was a lot more balanced, but I was still in a leadership role. And really, I think for me, it was trying to figure out what is it that I want to do. And I think what I really love and enjoy doing is like helping child welfare jurisdictions, whether it's a county or a state, like how do you improve outcomes for foster care? Like how do we ensure that these families are coming in, they're coming in, they need to be here, right? How can we prevent the ones that don't need to come in? And then if they're coming in, how do we get them the services, help them work through whatever, you know, risk factors brought them in and try to get the families back together. And so that's what I love doing. So even now as a, as a teach, as a um, faculty at USC, that's still my area. And that's what I'm interested in. So I still work on different projects like that around child welfare and consulting. But I think the leadership piece for me, it really was mentors, mentors and coaching. It's how I survived. And I had a lot of um, support from my husband. Please trust me, I missed and have missed, not now, but in the earlier years of our marriage, I missed many a date nights because I was still trying to get a report done and, you know, working on crisis, you know, crisis issues with my staff. And, and I, you know, those years, it was hard to get the time back, but I'm glad I kind of finally figured out what works for me so that it could be a better balance overall. And see the key, and, and I'm so glad you said that because I was going to bring it up, but you brought it up perfectly, is that people don't understand that mentors are everything. Everything. I mean, if, and I can't stress enough for the listening audience, as you are in your positions, you know, find someone that's at your level or higher so that you have someone that can help you make some of these decisions that, you know, only someone that's higher above you could help you to make. Yes. Um, having a mentor, being a mentor is a beautiful thing too, because if you are in that, in that role where like, you know, you, ha you have the opportunity to help someone else, it yes. helps you as well. Yeah. Because then you ain't have to seek your mentor to help your mentee. I mean, you, exactly. All, but, but having a mentor, I tell you is, 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 is a wonderful thing because they can give you a perspective that you can't see. Absolutely. And, and, and when you see it, it's like, well, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. Like, it, right. It, 
it is definitely um, something that I would I would tell folks to definitely check out. Look around you. Look look around you. Look around your job, uh, your position. Look at people and what they're doing, and see you know. And it's nothing. It's nothing. To, you know, just as you ask them questions, they'll answer mm-hmm. your questions. And like you know, you are really a good mentor for me. You know, and it's just like right. I don't even realize that they're being a mentor, but you know. It, it is a beautiful thing to make sure that you have someone that can help you to understand your job and, and, and your next moves. And, exactly. it, and it really helps to have someone to talk to. So mentoring is a, is, is something that is a must. Yes. Uh, and I, I want to clarify, cause I did look the name up just to make sure I got it correctly. So for those of you who are in social work, it's called the network for social work management. You can find them on LinkedIn. You can Google them, but they have a formal mentoring program for those who are supervisors or administrators or managers, and they'll pair you with different people who work with their organization. And so it just, it, 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 it helped me because there were some days where I was like, this is not what is cracked up to be. I mean, I think the thing people don't tell you is leadership is lonely. It really is. The higher up you get, it can become very lonely. And so I think lonely because you get to a place where you have to shoulder what's happening for the organization, wherever you sit. And you can't always, you don't always have somebody to kind of share those pressures with. And so that's the part that I think people don't tell you about. And for me, being in management at 25 was, it was, it was like, okay, but I had a lot of colleagues. But once I got promoted at 28 years old, I was just sitting back like, oh my gosh, like my scope just got huge. And so the mentoring has always been great. And I think even now I still have mentors now where I'm like, should I apply for this job? Should I not apply for this job? Here's this opportunity to promote. What do you think? And they'll tell you, well, this is what happened to me. This is what I did. And they'll tell you pitfalls to avoid. And ultimately it's up to you. But I think even as a faculty member, I have friends and sorority sisters who are professors and I talk to them like, okay, so here's this opportunity that's come up and they'll tell me, you know, it's like, you should apply, you should go for it. Even with this position at USC, I told my really good girlfriend, I said, girl, I think I'm going to apply for this. This is, and I had gotten to it like a day or two before it closed. And she was like, you have to do it. Just, just do it. Just go. And so it's just, it, it feels good to have people support you as you're going through your journey. No, absolutely. And support that that's the key. Yes. Um, and I can't stress enough for folks to understand how important that is to have support. Um, it makes all the difference in the world when you can have someone you can talk to, someone you can share, you know, your thoughts about what are your next moves, especially someone who is more seasoned, for lack of better words, than mm-hmm. you are in, the, in in your field, as well as not even in your field. You know, they don't yes. have to necessarily be social workers, but they just, they, they, um, they just can have that listening ear. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and, and again, preferably someone older, cause you want somebody with a little bit more experience than yeah. you give you as well as your own friends. I mean, you yes. know, people that you're be, genuinely going to listen to. And that's going to listen to you. That's the yes. key right there in my eye. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, that, that piece is so important. And then even, even, you know, even when you're on your new job, it's like, okay, who here at SC, you know, what professor, what office right. person, what, dean what director you know right. who i speak with about you know certain things you know whoever's in charge of whatever program that you're teaching underneath um yes. you know, that department mm-hmm. um and then working with again you, you're 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 working with students who are in the field so i'm sure you know some of the people on and some of the field placement correct 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I'll, it, it, it's it literally, it can be anywhere, right? Your partnerships, your the people who work, who directly work for your organization and is trying to figure out, you know, who you can trust, who's a safe person for you to reach out to um, in terms of support. Absolutely. Yes. And so when you talk about excellence, because mm-hmm. you, again, we go back to the, uh, yes. of the, of the uh, topics uh, for today. Um, hold on a second. <laughs> there we go. Um, we said work-life balance, motherhood, yeah, leadership, and excellence. Where does the excellence come in? I think the excellence is your own standard and measured for who you want to be. Mm. I don't think you can you can't gauge excellence by somebody else's walk. I think oftentimes, especially as, as mothers, and I'll go back to motherhood really quickly, but I think oftentimes we see other women, other mothers, other leaders, and it's like, oh, I need to be like her. or I need to be like them. And it's not always, their walk is not your walk. Their capacity may be much greater than yours. So what does excellent look like for you, right? So to me, if I can get my kids to school on time and get myself to work on time and everybody has eaten and we're safe, that's excellence. You get what I'm saying, right? It's not that I have to write a novel or something, but it's what is excellence for you. For me, it is showing up, being in the space, being prepared, being ready. And being able to admit when I make mistakes and then you, Lord willing, you have to tomorrow to try to do it again better. Right. And so for me, my excellence, it is my standard. And I think I try to teach that to my children, like be your best self. And just every day you try something new. I think one thing that has helped me in motherhood and in work for me, I'm a woman of faith. It is prayer. I pray about everything. Because the level of pressure that we're under, I think, as parents and as leaders it's tremendous, especially now in these times during COVID. And so for me, I do lean on uh, my prayer, my faith. I have a prayer group of, of mothers that I pray with every week and we encourage each other throughout the week on text. So I think it's building community for yourselves and then you identify what your level of excellence is and you just run your own race. I think that's the key. Wow. That's, that's good. Run, yes. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Run your own. Yes, <laughs> you said it perfectly. Um, but it is about examining yourself yes. and not comparing to others. I think what happens is, you know, with um, social media, you know, you're always yes. trying to compare. You're trying to compare to that. Did I get enough likes? Did I do this? Is mm-hmm. everybody? You can't be worrying about what everybody else thinks about you. You can't mm-hmm. be worrying about um, trying to be like someone else because they. Everybody has their own paths. Right, right. Nobody's path is the same. No. Not even and a it, set of twins. Their path is no. not the same. They have mm-hmm. a similar path, but right. their path is not the same. And so being able to, like you said, take the time to, to complete each day to the fullest. To the to fullest. Each day um, knowing that you, you reach the goal. I mean, you said something very simple. If I can get the girls to school on time, I can get to campus and get back. My husband can do this. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Sounds simple, but it leads to your excellence yes. because long as you, long as you're continuing to reach those goals of everyday living, mm-hmm. you're being excellent at what you do. And consistent and, and, execution. That's it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wow, absolutely. And quickly, you got about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Want to motherhood, right? Quick, if you have um, motherhood. Yes. Um. Oh my goodness. I would say 
and motherhood has been like a huge journey for me. And I'm doing an, a, a, I've interviewed some wonderful mothers to do a documentary next spring. So in 2023, just on the experience, yes, just on the experiences of motherhood. And I think to your point, don't compare, just run your race. And I think going back to self-care is critical because you're doing a lot, taking care of little humans, right? And you're trying to keep them alive and trying to make sure they get to school and they eat. And it's a lot of pressure. But I think the biggest thing is be honest with yourself, do your best every day. And even if your best is not as good as it should be, have grace for yourself as a mother, right? And then the next day you do something a little bit better. But I think we put so much pressure on ourselves as mom. We want to make sure that the kids are in the right schools. They're in a good school district. They're in these different clubs and things. And it's it's not about that, right? It's about you teaching them how to be good people and just doing one thing at a time. So that's been my focus for six years now of motherhood. One day at a time. That's it. Yes. Uh, absolutely. And like you said, to balance all of that and be able to teach and, 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 and you know, teach others to be that great social worker. Yes. Um, that you have become in your life and able to pass down your um, uh, experiences to them. And and, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful yes. thing. A beautiful thing. Thank you, Miss Audrey. Oh my God. Thank First you. Love, so good to see you. Yes, absolutely. Great to and see you always. See my baby, my baby's grown <laughs> up. Oh my God. Full circle, ma'am. I know. This is so crazy to see you all grown up and married with kids and now being a professor at USC. Back at SC. Yes. Institution in the world, of course. Yes. But it is it is just such a great thing to see you doing so well and helping others to become the best social workers that they can become. And I look forward to hearing more about this documentary that you yes. have this year. And we've got to definitely have you back for that. Thank um, you so, so much for having me. And, 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 and maybe have some guests and stuff. Sounds like we got some background. I hear somebody got, in the background. Sorry, my baby. I'm a muter. <laughs> No, no. Let's see. Let's let me let me say hi to her as we say goodbye. Don't say hi. She's been wanting, she's been wanting to say hi, say sweetie. Hi. <laughs> this is motherhood. Motherhood at its finest. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And stay in touch and let me know if you do something, doing something really, you know, going on 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 campus that you're doing. Yes. I can talk about open door policy here at Mindful Mondays. Thank Thank you you so much. And um, that's it. All righty. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Intentional talk radio network mindful mondays with dr corliss p bennett and we'll see you next monday with another lively show until then bye for now